This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend. So glad you're back with us today. 1-866-408-7669. Uh, hope you're getting some time off. We're allowed to go out as long as we're allowed to not wear a mask. If you're in one of those cities that has not overreacted again. Uh, i tell you what, Gallup came out with an approval rating for uh, Joe Biden. He cannot be happy. He's at 50% overall. You think that's fine? It's down 6% in a month. And already, this is usually the honeymoon phase, unless your name is Donald Trump. 55% of the country thinks we're heading in the wrong direction. That's always a bad sign. But why is that? Because so much within our power is going wrong. And what I'm talking about, the pandemic, not our fault. How we react to it is. And what, uh, what, what's going on in this country, we'll go through it. Number one. Number two is what's going on at the border. Totally preventable. We'll talk to Andy McCarthy about that as well as what one state's doing. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It happens every single solitary year. There is a significant increase in the number of people coming to the border in the winter months of January, February, March. It happens every year. Really? True. And it's getting worse when it's supposed to be getting better. That's the word from the Border Patrol because, by the way, it's July. At a time when the heat usually makes the southern border surge go away, states are now stepping up because Biden has not what Texas decided to do and the chances of it working next. Number two. Wall Street Journal waiting against the deal yesterday on their editorial page. And they write, what's striking about the deal so far, however, is that by all appearances, this will be the most one-sided bipartisan deal in decades, I, I normally respect the Wall Street Journal's editorial page. In fact, I, I read it every day, but they're totally wrong on this. He, uh, Senator Portman, weighing in because he's doing a lot of the hard work of a bipartisan bill. The bipartisan infrastructure deal could get done today or announced. The question is, will and should the Republicans join Dems, at least 10 of them, in voting for it if it contains much of what they want, knowing that another deal looms that contains nothing they want and only what Dems say they need? Number one. Do you think masks yeah. should be brought back for vaccinated Americans? This is under active consideration. If you're asking, am I part of, am I part of the discussion? Yes, I am. You know what that means. They're coming back. The never-ending pandemic brings back a never-ending debate. To vax or not to mask or not. Two things are clear to me. Number one, until you seal the southern border and stop the flood of untested illegals to invade our nation, you can't tell me to restrict a thing in my life. Number two, don't tell me to put on a mask after I get vaccinated because the deal was get the shot, lose the mask. If they do this, they have lost all credibility. I'm telling you, look out. Fauci says it is coming. So let's discuss the mask situation. 
Uh, we know uh, we know that the number of cases is rising, 175 percent in the last two weeks. But we know deaths are still way down, down 20 percent. They're very small. I don't want one person to die, but you're making your own decisions for the most part. I don't know anybody, any reported person who got vaccinated that dies from this. Very few even get hospitalized. You get minor symptoms, you come out. We know this variant, it's easier to spread, but it's not more deadly. A quarter of the entire adult population has been vaccinated. 60%, come on, have that's globally. In our country, 60% have gotten both shots over 18. And we, if you've taken the others that have the antibodies, we're there. So the variant comes in and presents some challenge. Don't overreact, especially when you told us that we are crazy not to get the vaccine because we'll be able to take off the mask, be able to go walk to a bar. Now, they're starting in St. Louis, in Las Vegas, in Los Angeles. They're bringing back the mask mandates. Terrible idea from everything I just told you. If you're indoors, vaccinated, no mask, outdoors, you never needed one. That was just abusive to do it. Dr. Scott Gottlieb weighed in, former FDA administrator. He admits he's on the Pfizer board. I'm fine with that. But if you want to know where this is going, look at the U.K. Cut nine. If you look at the U.K. right now, and we're probably about three weeks, maybe four weeks behind the U.K., perhaps a little less than that. If you look at the U.K., they do in the last seven days appear to be turning a corner. You're starting to see a downward trajectory on the cases. Now, it's unclear whether that's going to be sustained. They just lifted a lot of the mitigation that they had in place. But if the U.K. is any guide, we are perhaps further into this epidemic and hopefully going to turn a corner in the next two or maybe three weeks. Right. And they'll say, oh, it's because we put the mask back on in L.A. County. You realize if you own a bar restaurant, you finally get your bar crowd back. That's 40 percent of your earnings. And that's because people can stand. They don't need a stool. And if they can stand and wear a mask, they want to take the mask off and have a beer or or a margarita. So goodbye bar business. No more sitting down. Then you got to get up. You got to put the mask back on to walk to the bathroom, which is farcical because you sit at the table with three people you know and you don't wear a mask. And then you stay at home and nobody wears a mask, especially if you're vaccinated. Are you kidding? Rahm Emanuel brought up a great point. You want to get on Republicans for not getting vaccinated? You look at African Americans and, and Hispanics. They're dragging the numbers down. And also somebody else. Cut seven. I still get back this, that 30% of the medical profession not vaccinated is a unbelievable wrong example that gives people a permission slip. The nurse isn't, the doctor isn't, or the pharmacist isn't. Why am I doing it? Do you understand what he just said? 30% of the medical community is not vaccinated. They're the smart ones who were burdening by questioning whether we should take a vaccine that's still in the experimental stage. Jason Riley, Wall Street Journal, made a lot of sense. Really? Lockdowns didn't work, and you got to go back to the mask? For what reason? Cut eight. According to Dr. Walensky at the CDC, something like 97% of people being hospitalized for COVID are unvaccinated people. Uh, that sounds like a vaccination problem to me, not a masking problem. I, I understand that pe- some people are hesitant to get the, the vaccine. Uh, a lot of Democrats spent time uh, undermining uh, the rollout of the vaccine during the Trump administration. So here we are. But I still don't know why the rest of us need to mask up uh, until these other folks decide whether or not to get the vaccine. Uh, I also think that masking undermines the, the, the vaccination effort Thank in you. some ways. I mean, one reason to get a vaccine is so that you don't need to wear a mask. And if you force people to do Thank both, you. I think uh, they have less incentive to go get a shot. I mean, 100% right. 
You told me to get the shot. I take off the mask. You've cut PSAs for that. I saw the president of the United States, I think he was in the Oval Office or East Room, say that. And now you're going to go back on that because of a variant that I'm protected from? Unless, of course, you're not telling the truth about anything. Meanwhile, Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, loves to come on and just uh, add more cloud to a cloudy situation. Cut one. Do you think masks should be brought back for vaccinated Americans? This is under active consideration. If you're asking, am I part of of the discussion? Yes, I am part of the discussion. The CDC agrees with that ability and discretion capability to say, you know, you're in a situation where we're having a lot of dynamics of infection. So even if you are vaccinated, you should wear a mask. He's going to recommend it, and it's sickening. The CDC is getting pressure to do it, and it's a joke. I don't want to hear any recommendations to wear a mask. And everybody else, and Governor Cuomo, who just wants to be a tough guy, uh, he know, the only thing that's stopping him from saying mask up right now is the fact he's got 10 scandals going on. He can't afford to lose any public support that he might have. But do not put the mask mandate back. Next, and finally, on this, on the origins of the virus. Dr. Anthony Fauci actually answered some of this. And do you believe... He is admitting that $600,000 went through a third party to the Wuhan lab. He knows the WHO is asking for another investigation. All signs point there. A year ago, if you put this on your Facebook page, they would suspend you for a couple of weeks, and they did. Now it's conventional wisdom, shows you what's wrong with Facebook, and shows you how much power that Fauci has, because he does not want to hear this, because it makes him look terrible. You saw how defensive he got with Rand Paul. So... Having said everything you said and say gain of function is not what we were doing, even though gain of function is exactly what you were doing, going forward, do you think that he learned his lesson? Cut 11. Going forward, we are always going to be very, very careful, go through all kinds of review, including the risk-benefit ratio. So, I, w- I mean, if your question, Jake, is looking forward, are going to be very careful about the research that we do Well, we have always been very careful, and looking forward, we will continue to be very careful in what we do. And we are always willing to re-examine the criteria that are used when you do research wherever you do them. But I think doing research in the context of where these things happen is very important. couple of things. What are you talking about? You're not going to use the Wuhan lab. You're not going to use any more Chinese labs. That's done. That should be open and shut. Does anybody argue with me on that? Number two, we're all going to be careful. He took 15 to 35 seconds to say we should have taken five. We're always going to be careful. No, I thought labs are inherently not careful. I heard it's like a big frat party in there. There's no way we should be doing it. Evidently, they're back experimenting with bats already. And they're just about hours ago, Wendy Sherman, our number two diplomat, landed there, which time they reiterated that they're offended the WHO wants another investigation. And they berated Americans by saying that Wendy Sherman, meanwhile, all of us, by saying we, our confrontational attitude is not good for relationships and they don't know why we're poisoning a relationship. We just identify a major hack through Microsoft that you just did. We know you're trying to muscle your way through the South China Sea. You've actually put a million-plus Muslims in a concentration camp and just steamrolled Hong Kong, and you're berating America like you did in Alaska. When is this guy, the president of the United States, going to show up and stand up? 
Lastly, today is going to be the day we find out, we think, of a bipartisan deal. It's 90% done. They're just uh, settling on transit funding. And it's mostly the type of things that we all want, extending broadband to rural situations, bridges and tunnels, and uh, redoing intersections and rails. And I'm all for this. You know, opening up different lines to Amtrak, picking up the pay, whatever it is. We're for that. We think it has to be done. But we're not for immigration infrastructure. We're not for human infrastructure. We're certainly not for voting infrastructure. And that's all going to be attempted to pass through on a 3.5, which is actually $6 trillion, which is all Biden and left-wing agenda items. So it makes you wonder, should we even do this deal to begin with? Nancy Pelosi is going to make it really tough. As Speaker of the House, she could not be more detached from reality, saying not only pretending to pass the one without the other, she's linking the two. Cut 13. Building the human infrastructure is really a part of building the physical infrastructure. So that's why we will have some, something further uh, to add. The bill is not as green as I would like it to be, the infrastructure bill. Uh, and, and I think that it's something we could have passed a long time ago, uh, even before the climate crisis was readily known to everyone. But nonetheless, I hope that it will pass. I won't put it on the floor until we have but if you, the rest of the initiative. So you understand what he's saying? I won't put it on the floor unless we get the $3.5 trillion, where if you do the math, it's actually more like $6 trillion out in the spending package. So everything that they negotiated out, the human infrastructure, the voting infrastructure, the immigration infrastructure, all the other stuff, the elder care, the daycare, the school lunches, uh, the preschool, all financed with stuff that we can't afford. And who wants the federal government running my preschool? My goodness, really? A federal government running my preschool? Are you going to give big money for the state to run my preschool? There's private preschools out there. There's scholarships to some of them. The churches offer them. But now we're going to have the national, the federal government doing it and in something we can't afford. And then at free daycare, too. So she's saying, I will not pass one without the other. Joe Biden said that, backed off from it. So Republicans... You cannot pass this thing unless it becomes clear that the other one is not going is going to at least be negotiated, not let's not not linked to. And I'm running a little late. I'll come back and play Chris Christie on that. Uh, in fact, let me just play it now. Cut fifteen. This is where Speaker Pelosi is tone deaf, because if she continues to push in this direction, um, the, you, you're giving the Republicans no room to be bipartisan. If, if the Republicans are characterized not as making a bipartisan deal on infrastructure, which I think will be supported, but that they're supporting reconciliation by sitting by and giving the infrastructure bill but letting the reconciliation bill go first, they're not going to do it. Sure. They're going to back out of it. They're going to lose the Republicans they have. And then they're going to wind up with a problem with Joe Manchin on top of it. Yeah. Uh, so this is... I understand. She thinks she has to negotiate on everything. And she thinks that she has to play this game all the time. But she's wrong on this one. You can't ask Republicans to be bipartisan. They come forth and do it in the Senate and then say, oh, but wait a second. Pass this. So we have a, I put a lot out there, one 408 You ready to wear a mask again? Especially if you're vaccinated, that's okay with you? And what about this infrastructure bill? Are you okay on signing off from what you want, knowing you're about to be forced to deal with what you don't want? This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. 
Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. 1 866 408 7669. I don't know what the right answer is yet. I haven't made my decision. I'm leaning towards going for this infrastructure bill. If it's like the, if, it, if you see a lot of bridges and tunnels and things that are in there, because I also think that if you have a chance to work across the aisle, you should work across the aisle. But the fact is, it is almost trolling to say, hey, you know how hard you work to make sure taxes didn't go up? You know how hard you work to make sure this was repurposing pandemic money? So this is $587 billion, and it ends up being $1.3 trillion when you repurpose the pandemic money. You know how hard you worked on that? Well, everything that you put in it, we're just going to put it in anyway. So we're going to do it in a separate bill, and we're not even going to ask you to participate. So here's Rob Portman. On this, and uh, and the fact the Wall Street Journal called him out, saying that nobody should pass this. He believes the Wall Street Journal was not educated, and he says my phone was open and available. Cut seventeen. Wall Street Journal waiting against the deal yesterday on their editorial page. I want to put it up on the screen right now. It says taking the buy out of bipartisan. And they write, what's striking about the deal so far, however, is that by all appearances, this will be the most one-sided bipartisan deal in decades. They point out that the Republicans are not getting the kind of regulatory reforms you've called for. Also, you're not doing anything to stop that reconciliation package we were just talking about the Democrats hope to pass. Well, you know, I, I, I normally respect the Wall Street Journal. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. editorial page. In fact, I, I read it every day, but they're totally wrong on this. And, and it shocks me that the Wall Street Journal, which has normally good uh, journalistic ethics, would say in that editorial, we don't know what's in it, but this is what we think. <laughs> in other words, they, they don't know what's in it. Uh, they're, they're wrong about a number of things in there. And if they had called and asked us, uh, they could have avoided being wrong. One is they say that there's no permitting reform. Uh, there's historic permitting reform in this legislation, and they should strongly support that, as should every Republican and Democrat, by the way, because it allows the federal dollar to go further. So there's a there's a, definitely a debate on that, and we have not seen it. But I'll tell you what. You know that Mitt Romney's going to sign. That's one. You know Portman's going to sign up for it. That's two. You know Cassidy's going to sign up for that. That's three. I have not heard from the Murkowskis, the Collins, uh, the maybe the Pat Toomey, People that are retiring themselves out and that don't mind making a deal. But the ones that are not going to sign on, you know, the conservatives, the Ted Cruz and company, because they know what's coming next. And that is a bill that they're not going to be able to digest. It's going to be sickening to them. The only hope to stop the second one is the parliamentarian exiting a lot of it out. Andy McCarthy next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. We have taken on a mindset that marijuana is not really really a big issue in our city. I can tell you that marijuana undoubtedly is connected to violent crimes that we're seeing in our community. When you have something where people get high reward, they can make a lot of money by selling illegal marijuana, and the risk is low, the risk for accountability is very low, that creates a very, 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 very bad situation because those individuals get robbed, those individuals get shot at, those individuals get involved in disputes all across our city. I'm seeing it happen more and more. Wow. Robert Conti, D.C. police chief, talking about the shootings. He wants to have his family be able to walk in Washington, D.C. and not worry about it. I thought it was one of the great impromptu speeches you could see on law enforcement and crime and punishment. And he really voiced a lot of the frustration that we've been talking about from day one. Joining me now, a man that knows all about that, Andrew McCarthy, spent his lifetime uh, fighting for justice and making sure those don't, uh, those uh, people don't get away with murder like the blind shake. Uh, Andy, I, I want to talk to you about uh, your column about the Whitmer so-called kidnapping plot. But first, on what the police chief said, a lot of people were caught by surprise. What's the problem? Marijuana is on the doorstep of being legalized. How is it creating crime? Brian, I think we know from the early to mid-1990s forward to almost 2020, where we had a generation of record low crime, we know what works. And what works is you have to project the understanding that the the rule of law obtains and that the laws are going to be enforced. And one of the things that turned around crime in New York and then was uh, sort of copied nationally to drive crime rates down all across the country was the idea that you actually enforced petty crime uh, for, for two reasons. One you want to uh, make everybody understand this is the broken windows idea, right? That uh, the laws are going to be enforced because if you, you know, if you leave basically monuments up to the fact that the laws are not being enforced, then you get more crime. And then the second thing is almost nobody who commits crimes, even petty ones, 
uh, is, number one, committing their only crime, and number two, you know, they all know people who are involved in crime. So what happens when you arrest in those cases is the police get to interview and interrogate people because they're allowed to do that when they make lawful arrests, and you increase your intelligence base for what's going on in crime, which allows the police to deploy officers in the places where crime is spiking. So that allows you to tamp down on crime where it, you know, where it spurts up here and there. So it's a whole system that feeds on itself, but it begins with enforcing the laws, including the petty laws or seemingly petty laws. Uh, Andy, I want you to hear what uh, Rahm Emanuel said. He used to be mayor of Chicago. He was an epic failure, but he said this about the crime raging in the inner city, cut 31. Our overwhelming factor of the gun violence. There's like 5,000 individuals in any city, 2,000 individuals, who are creating both 75% of the problem. Those individuals do not belong on the streets where children are playing. That's simple. So he thinks it's the same people. And I'll tell you, the D.C. police chief said, I don't know who did that blatant shooting uh, out there right right, right by the White House, but I guarantee you he's a familiar face. What do you think Rahm Emanuel is getting at? Well, he's getting at something that I don't think he wants to pursue the logic of. He's quite right that most of the crime is recidivist and that a small percentage of people commit most of the offenders. You never run into anyone, Brian, who's only committed one crime, right? So everybody can understand that. That's common sense. But what is, our, what is the left's underlying philosophy of crime? It's that we're all equal. There's no differences between any of us, including in uh, offense rates and uh, you know offenses committed by various demographic groups, and that if it turns out that you see that one group uh, is committing more crimes than another group, that means there's inherent racism in the system. But we know that's not true because guilt is individual. So just like uh, the fact of the matter is that a small number of people commit an outsized number of crimes, and if you got that small number of people off the street, you'd have a lot less crime, it's also preposterous to look at uh, crime statistics and say there's racial disparities between these groups if you're not going to account for offense behavior. You know, if it turns out that one group is committing crime at a higher rate, then naturally you're going to see statistically a, a higher number of yeah. arrests and prosecutions. And we know who commits crime, not because the police are biased. I mean, if you listen to the left, you would think people get arrested because the police are out there hunting people down. We know who commits crimes because crimes have victims. Victims report crime. Most crime is not like the police officer goes out on the street looking for someone to arrest. They respond to reports. So we know who commits crime. We know who commits robberies and murders and and all that jazz. So this whole idea of of putting a racial overlay on something that's really about guilt and innocence, it's it's not about black and white and other Mm. groups. Uh, you know, we have to get back to common sense, which is what I take both Emmanuel, despite himself, uh, and the police chief to be saying. So another thing you wrote about, and we covered it yesterday on primetime last week, Governor Whitmer and this kidnapping, uh, this kidnapping plot was just uh, horrific. You read this, we were horrified. Who thought they could, inside our country, kidnap a sitting governor? And then we didn't really find out many details about this. Then BuzzFeed prints this article. It turns out this group, this was heavily infiltrated and possibly led uh, by people working for the government. 
they really put this plot forward. The number two in the organization was actually an FBI agent and an Iraqi war vet. And he had relationship with other people prior to this. What did that BuzzFeed story show you, tell you? Well, you know, look, I, I, I'm not, uh, I'm always skeptical about entrapment clients, particularly uh, at this phase of uh, a litigation, because at this point, the defense lawyers are the ones who are speaking to the media. And when people are arrested in an undercover investigation, the, the claim tends to be, you know, the government created this whole thing and my poor client would never have uh, been involved if the government hadn't created it. Uh, you know, I ran undercover investigations in terrorism and organized crime. And the fact is, Brian, um, innocent, law-abiding people don't get entrapped into committing violent crimes. Uh, they just don't. You know, and the question I asked the jury in the blind shake case was, what would I have to do to entice you to commit a mass murder attack? You know, and if you think about it that way, it, it suddenly dawns on you that, you know, um, yes, the police can be aggressive, and we expect them to be aggressive when it comes to things like terrorism, where if you don't get it right or if you don't interrupt it, it could be a mass murder attack. But the kind of crimes that people get enticed into are like get-rich-quick schemes. And um, I wrote in my column about a, uh, a guy who, for three years, the postal inspectors tried to get him to buy kiddie porn until he finally did. You know, that, that's the kind of stuff you can understand when agents are overly aggressive, people getting caught up in. But mass murder attacks and, like, kidnapping the governor. Now, I'm not saying there's nothing to be uh, disturbed about in the report that you're talking about, the BuzzFeed report. Mm -hmm. I, I detect in that a lot of, um, you know, a lot of elastic in what they think a conspiracy is. And a lot of disturbing use of constitutionally protected behavior, like uh, complaining about the government on Facebook or going out into um, paramilitary training, which people are allowed to do. Um, if they don't show that people actually agreed to participate and did something knowingly and willfully to further a plot on the on the governor, then a lot of people are going to be acquitted in this case. But I'm not. But I'm not holding my breath thinking an entrapment claim is going to work. So you're not, but are you concerned about the number that it infiltrated? They almost outnumber the number of people in the operation. And is I'd be more, I'd be more worried, Brian, about you know what were they actually doing? Like for example, the Iraq War veteran that you talked about, he was first drawn into this and, and worried about it because these guys were talking about killing police officers. That's why he went to the FBI in the first place. And they say that 12 informants were involved in it. But what does involved mean? You know, if it turns out that they got like the FBI got a lead on somebody and, you know, two states away from where this was happening, they asked an informant to run down something. That's really not much involvement in the case. So now, you really don't have yeah, you, you, you just think it's just too hard to prove. You don't really from what you know, uh, th these guys are bad guys. But you, you, if if at the Iraq, let's say the Iraqi war vet was the one who said, "Why don't you try kidnapping her?" You know, why don't you do that? And maybe they were starting to fall apart. Evidently, they were. He was using his leadership skills to bring them back together. Come on, guys, we got to get a meeting together. We got to get this done. Would that bother you, Brian? Could anyone talk you into kidnapping the governor? No. So, I mean, what kind of person gets talked into kidnapping the governor? And oh, by the way, we'll blow up a bridge while we're at it. To Make sure the cops can't chase us.
I mean, people don't get talking to kidnapping the governor, you know? I mean. All right. Um, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if anything comes out on that. Uh, it seems like the FBI being quite aggressive when these when yep. these militias. Let's see if they're that aggressive when it comes to Al Qaeda and other things uh, or yep. Antifa. They don't seem to want to infiltrate there. So the other thing I want to bring you to is Texas. And you understand the outrage as an American. Forget your legal background. I, right. There's a, over a million people came here illegally in the middle of a pandemic. We have bans on traveling from, from the citizens of Mexico and Canada. But if you're illegal coming from God knows where, you're getting into our border to the tune of 188,000 last month alone when it was supposed to be leveling off. They say this is going to be even more this month when they say the heat is so stifling, it's hard to imagine people making it through on foot. So – the governor is now uh, is now deciding to take action. He is starting to arrest people, gutting some jails, repurposing some buildings, and starting arresting people for trespassing. How do you feel about that? I I think Brian that uh, our constitutional arrangement is that the states are sovereign, and if the law had been, or if anyone had told the states that you're not allowed to defend your borders. We would not have a country because the states would not have agreed to ratify the Constitution. It's a basic ingredient of sovereignty. If this, if this system is what the Constitution was ratified uh, to enact, which is a, a dual sovereignty system where the states retain sovereignty and the idea was that they were going to control their internal affairs and defend themselves, and for the first hundred-plus years of this country's history, it was the states – not the federal government that were in charge of uh, whatever enforcement there was regarding immigration. The federal government was able to set the terms of citizenship, but the states were responsible for enforcing the laws. You have to let the states enforce the laws. And it can't be that the courts say this is a federal responsibility, and then if the federal government uh, mulishly refuses to do what a government has to do, which is defend its borders. The states have to be able to do it. And if you're not going to let them do it, you know, I, I don't want to be uh, hyperbolic here, but, you know, I mean, you got to start asking yourself, um, what are we in this country for if, if you're not going to let us defend the it's borders? A, it's unbelievable. And that, you know, we had the vice president make one cursory visit to one area have a couple of Zoom calls and a visit, and that's all they're doing to stop this, uh, the tide. I want you to hear Colonel West. He's running for governor because he thinks Abbott has not done enough. And he says, you know, as the Texas GOP chair, he heard it from enough people. So Abbott wants to arrest these people on trespassing and put them in jail. That's not enough for West. Listen. Last week, Thursday, I was down in Del Rio, which is Valverde County, and also Brackettville, which is uh, Kenny County. When you talk to the people down there, and I saw a Department of uh, Public Safety officer that was just watching some migrants who had been detained at the border, he did not arrest them. Uh, they were just picked up by a Border Patrol van and taken to wherever. So when you're talking about arresting people for trespassing, that is kind of perplexing because they are already violating the law, our rule of law, our Constitution, by coming into this country illegally. And furthermore, you're going to put an additional burden on Texas taxpayers because now they're going to have to to pay for the court uh, fees and the, the court uh, actions, and then they're going to have to pay for these individuals to be sitting in jail on a third-degree misdemeanor, which, uh, if I'm correct, which means three to maybe six months, and then they're going to be released. So he wants them stopped and turned around right at the border, almost walk past the Border Patrol and say, don't get on the bus. You're going back right there. Can they? 
I don't think so. You know, I I I uh, like Allen a lot. Um, I, I wish he'd be going after a different governor than the guy in Texas who I think is doing a good job. Uh, but the courts and our constitutional system are not going to let states do foreign policy. You know, uh, Texas, obviously. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. They share the border with Mexico so they have relations with the government, but you can't have a different foreign policy than the country has. Who's you know, the arresting them and sending them back? By what authority? What by what authority? You're is not that, allowed to come in here. Well, why let people trespass? Well, no, keep them out is one thing, but you know, you, you can't force. If you're the government of Texas, you know, you can't like bring people into another country. You can try to have an arrangement with the Texas government that the U.S. government is going to bless. But you know, the reason we have a central government is to deal with foreign countries. I think what what I'm what I'm missing is when they cross into your country. Why jail them? Why not just send them where they came from? I, I agree with that, Brian, but it's got to be the federal government that, that does that. That's, the reason Abbott is going crazy is he do, he's not the president of the United States. He can't deal sovereign to sovereign with Mexico. So he's doing what he can do, which is to detain them under the laws of Texas. But Texas doesn't have any authority okay. as if it were – the federal government to conduct foreign policy with foreign countries. So the minute they come, you got to jail them. Unbelievable. Uh, Andy McCarthy, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. All right. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I find it hard to believe that there is any such thing as a blind sale when you're purchasing art from the president's son. Obviously, this is a problem, an ethical problem, one of optics, but also just from a practical perspective. Democrats are in this conundrum of trying to, say, defend what Hunter Biden is doing when they've spent the past few years very much criticizing former President Trump. This is a huge optics problem, an ethics problem, and making it more challenging is that it is art and the value is assigned. I mean, that's why you have critics saying different things. And so, obviously, the White House is trying to get some sort of wrap around this. They try to come up with an arrangement that could make it look a little bit better. But, you know, they're worried about it. They're worried about it. And I think that Hunter Biden is so this is so stupid. This guy's a rookie artist, never really painted before. Whether he has talent or not, it's not worth five hundred thousand dollars. The administration said, uh, don't worry about it. He's not going to know who buys it. Now he made it clear he's going to meet with them. So this makes it look like quid pro quo. Anyone who buys art you don't need is ridiculous. There's also a thought they didn't even paint it himself. So now you're going to buy a Hunter Biden original for $500,000? If you're a Russian oligarch, maybe through a straw buyer, maybe you want to do that. Maybe you make it known to Joe Biden, look what I just did. 
This is a guy that also did the Burisma board thing when they told the Obama administration, said, what are you doing? Uh, Aren't you concerned about Hunter Biden? And after all, Mr. Vice President, you're in charge of Ukraine, and now your son's got a key board spot and their number one energy source or an energy company in the country that's overrun with criticism and corruption. I think he's trolling us. He writes the book talking about all his drug use. He doesn't even have to answer when asked about his laptop. This guy is so cocky that he's not going to get arrested. He's just doing more and more. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we have a big uh, hour coming your way. Uh, we're going to be joined in a matter of moments by New York Post's own Michael Goodwin. He wrote a big thing about how, so far, and I think you know this, Ray, President Biden has let everybody down in terms of his uh, calls for unity. And we come to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. So uh, we'll be able to get to your calls shortly. But right after that, uh, a couple of things that I don't think that President Biden's going to be happy about. An ABC poll has him at 50 percent approval. Now, if he's in year three, that's great. If he's in within the first six months, not great, considering who's at 56 percent two months ago. Fifty five percent of the country thinks we're heading in the wrong direction. That's up from just 36 percent two months ago. Not good. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It happens every single solitary year. There is a significant increase in the number of people coming to the border in the winter months of January, February, March. It happens every year. And it's getting worse. That's the word for the Border Patrol at a time when the heat usually makes the southern border surge go away. States are now stepping up because President Biden has not. What Texas decided to do and the chances of it working. Number two. Wall Street Journal weighed in against the deal yesterday on their editorial page. And they write, what's striking about the deal so far, however, is that by all appearances, this will be the most one-sided bipartisan deal in decades. I, I normally respect the Wall Street Journal's editorial page. In fact, I, I read it every day, but they're totally wrong on this. Oh, the bipartisan infrastructure deal could be done today. The question is, will and should the Republicans join Dems in voting for it if it contains much of what they want, knowing that another deal looms that contains almost nothing they want and only what Dems say they need? Number one. Do you think masks should be brought back for vaccinated Americans? This is under active consideration. If you're asking, am am I part of the discussion? Yes, I am. See amazing? Anthony Fauci, active discussion. The never-ending pandemic brings back a never-ending debate. To vax or not to mask or not. Two things are clear to me. Number one, until you seal the southern border and stop a flood of untested illegals who are invading our nation, you can't tell me to restrict a thing in my life. And number two, don't tell me to put on a mask after I get vaccinated because the deal was get the shot, lose the mask. If they do this, they have lost all credibility. Uh, Look out. Fauci says it's coming. I believe it is. Uh, Michael Goodwin joins us now at the New York Post and Fox News. Michael, first off, before we get to your topic at hand, 
Do you believe it's a matter of time before Governor Cuomo has a presser where he says mask indoors? Uh, no, I don't think we're close to that yet in New York, Brian. I, I think that— uh, Thank goodness. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the numbers aren't there. I think there were, it, it, there's a bigger hurdle now because so many people are vaccinated, because so many people have natural antibodies from, from getting COVID in the first place. Uh, and, and I think that there is just a sense that if we go back that far, if we start unraveling the progress, then you've just opened the trap door. And so I, I think there will be a real reluctance for any governor uh, to do that. I mean, Gavin Newsom not, notwithstanding. But St. But Louis, St. Think- Louis uh, the mayor there, did it. Las Vegas has done it. Yes, I think you're seeing mayors do it in, in certain select cities. But uh, for a governor to do it, uh, I, I, don't, I don't believe New York is close to that. Now, you may see some mayors do it, but I think it's more likely what you're going to see are mayors, including in New York, uh, requiring city workers to be vaccinated. And I think that uh, once once the vaccines are removed from emergency authorization and get the full FDA sign-off, then I think you'll see both employers and government officials begin to mandate vaccines in selected areas or businesses. And I think that is a better way to go, frankly. I understand that people are hesitant to get the vaccine, but uh, – the reality is society is not going to reopen until there is some uh, sense and some confidence in herd immunity. So I think that's more likely than the mass Michael, return. You, but you are you're you're talking so rational. We are not dealing with rational people. They shut down business and worry about it later. They write checks on government money we don't have. And I'm just worried about that bar owner in Manhattan that's going to be told no one can stand at the bar without a mask. And then you've got to put that mask back on and start walking to the bathroom like they're doing in Los Angeles. You, know, you lose your entire bar business. And Anthony Fauci is going along with it. Listen to him. Cut one. Do you think masks yeah. should be brought back for vaccinated Americans? This is under active consideration. If you're asking, am I, part of, am I part of the discussion? Yes, I am part of the discussion. The CDC agrees with that ability and discretion capability to say, you know, you're in a situation where we're having a lot of dynamics of infection. So even if you are vaccinated, you should wear a mask. So that when Why? they go into active, de- I, I don't yeah, listen, I know if, if I'm vaccinated, I'm not. I'm not going to be hospitalized if I get it. And evidently, the reaction is mild. We saw it in Israel already. And if you have two shots, that's it. It could be an impetus to maybe get vaccinated. Go ahead. But don't tell me you're going to screw up my life again. Well, you let, let 188,000 people last month, 300,000 gotaways, 1.4 million since he took over. 1.4 million. You think we're testing these people? We're busting them into the interior. And now you're going to knock on my door and make me get a shot? Well, and, and the, whole, the whole thing of requiring even vaccinated people to wear masks is, is a disincentive to get vaccinated. Uh, what's the point of, of getting vaccinated if, if I don't get any 
social benefit from it. I mean, what's next? Six feet uh, social distancing, even if you're vaccinated? I mean, they're really undercutting the message of the vaccines, which is that they are 97, 98% effective. I mean, it's crazy to be downplaying that, to be talking about masks as the answer. I mean, it's going backwards mentally as well as, well oh. as scientifically. It seems. I've, I've had it. I mean, I'm, you understand, I would I would not. I'm not doing it. Number one. Number two. I got vaccinated already. So I'm also. I'm not a medical professional, but I'm pretty stunned that 30 percent of medical professionals have not gotten vaccinated. Really? So they're not getting vaccinated, and you're yelling at us not to get vaccinated. And should we also mention that the majority, the 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 race that is not getting vaccinated is the African Americans? Don't you think that's an important thing to bring up and stop berating Fox viewers? Well, look, I I, I do think, Brian, that uh, there are all kinds of people who have not gotten vaccinated for all kinds of reasons. I recently had a conversation with a doctor, uh, a very smart guy, very uh, well-regarded professional, and he waited until May to get vaccinated because he was concerned that we don't have long-term studies on the vaccinations. Now, he's right about that, uh, but, but he decided that uh, at some point the, the risk of getting COVID was not worth uh, the concern about what would the long-term impacts of the vaccine be on your DNA. And so he, he, he took his time in doing that. Now, I respect that kind of thoughtfulness about it. Uh, other people, I think, just are, don't trust the government, period. Uh, and it's not a scientific thing. It's just a gut reaction. And I think other people think that uh, I'm not going to get sick and therefore I don't need the vaccine. So you have all kinds of people saying no. And while I respect that, I think uh, when it comes to the health of others, there have to be some rules. I mean, for example, in, in New York City, you cannot send your child to public school without getting the full range of measles, mumps, yeah. rubella vac- vaccinations. I mean, we're not there yet with COVID because of the FDA is still doing it on an emergency. And I, as my understanding is legally, you, you are on shaky ground to mandate it if it's still considered an emergency and therefore not fully signed off on. And so that sign-off by the FDA, that final sign-off for the vaccinations, should be a, a real turning point uh, in public confidence. I hear you. Um, I want to bring it to your column, and one of the, this excerpt stuck out of me. President Biden has pursued radical policies and a race-driven agenda that are by definition divisive, leading to doubts about whether there was an ounce of sincerity in his January 20th address, where all he talked about was unity. And we see it in education. We are even seeing it in this vaccine, his unwillingness to credit the Trump uh, the regime for doing it. Look at his foreign policy with Afghanistan and Iraq uh, pullouts. Look at the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. I mean, look at the, uh, the look at the timid way in which he's approaching China. We just got berated again. And then at home with the critical race theory and, and the comments about police until we got slammed with this crime wave. He was willing to vilify police to the cows came home. Yeah, it, it, you're right, Brian. I mean, I, I wrote the column because here we are six months after Biden took office, 
And as I, as I point out, uh, the inaugural address is one of those rare moments, even a unique moment, because there's nothing on the president's desk. He has not taken office yet. He's not beset by problems. As Harry Truman said, the buck stops here. That hasn't happened. And so when a president, what a president chooses to focus on, on in his inaugural address is really important because it tells you what is uppermost in his mind, what he wants his administration to be about, and what he is promising to do, uh, unfettered by anything else. And so here we have in Joe Biden's uh, inaugural address, he used the word unity or variations of it and togetherness and that sort of – he used it more than a dozen times. And yet here we are six months later, and every policy he has pursued has been racialized and radicalized. And it's a whole government approach. They are, they are trying to indoctrinate the soldiers with Black Lives Matter theories. He, he, his repeated lies about the Georgia voting law, Jim Crow 2.0, and the flat-out lies. Threat. Yes, they're absolute lies. And using the government to racialize everything in America is one of the greatest mistakes a president has ever made, I believe. I mean, I think Joe Biden is taking this country to places we have not been to for a very long time. Uh, the split is becoming, I think, permanent. Uh, I think it's going to be very hard to undo, not just the rhetoric, but this use of the government agencies to racialize everything. I mean, nobody has done that since Woodrow Wilson, uh, the way Joe Biden is doing it. Okay. It's really, it's really stupid. And Great. I am grateful that people are now becoming pessimistic about his administration. I think they should be pessimistic about his administration because he has not for one day practiced what he preached in that inaugural address. I hear you. And lastly, how does that play into a chance to get a bipartisan deal on infrastructure, knowing another nonpartisan deal Another uh, partisan deal looms with everything you negotiated out. Would you still do the deal that could be on the table as early as today? Look, if I were a Republican senator and I believed in the infrastructure deal, you know, sort of almost in a vacuum, you have to look at this piece of legislation you know, and define, define it by what's in it, not what might come tomorrow, what happened last week. Is this piece of legislation good. So I would judge this one uh, solely on its own merits. I would not link it up mentally and say, well, I'm not going to vote for this today because you're going to do something tomorrow. He's going to do something tomorrow, uh, this, this partisan trillion-dollar-plus, five-trillion-dollar Bernie Sanders program. Biden is going to push that no matter what happens to the infrastructure deal. So I would I would decide this one single-handedly on its own merits if I were a Republican senator. So still, yeah, so still uh, pass it. You agree with Karl Rove, Molly Hemingway's against it, Wall Street Journal's against it. Uh, we'll, we'll see what we actually in it. $587 billion of new spending, $1.3 trillion total, uh, where they don't really uh, – and they're not raising taxes – so that's a combination that Republicans on the surface would sign on for, but knowing they are raising taxes in a reconciliation package uh, is an almost in-your-face, uh, almost a mocking way in which they did it. And Nancy Pelosi said yesterday, I will not do the first one unless the other one is with it. So that's again in-your-face. 
So it's it's just terrible politics. I, I, I agree with that. And, and I think that is another example of how Biden is simply blowing it. Uh, he is giving everything to the left. Uh, he is not the person he promised to be. He's not the person he used to be. Um, he is simply uh, doing these policies that uh, reflect the wish list of Chuck Schumer, who's deathly afraid of being primary by AOC. Uh, so you have this incredible left, 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 left all the time in, in an attempt to radicalize the country and racialize it. And I don't think it's going to sell. Now, again, the, the infrastructure bill, there's no question America needs infrastructure uh, improvements. But whether this bill does it and knowing that what, how Pelosi has linked it to the other bills, uh, it's a tough call for Republicans. But I still think that if you're a Republican senator and you stand in opposition to the big things that Biden is doing, here, if, if this bill can achieve some good things uh, – in terms of infrastructure, not just in your own state, but in but in across the country, and you think mm -hmm. this is an important bill, not as some symbol of bipartisanship or anything like that, but just on the merits of how the money would be raised and spent, then I think you would be hard-pressed to say I no. You. I think it's a hard gotcha. argument to say, Michael, I, I'm voting no for all of them. Thanks so much, Michael. It was great. Back in a My moment pleasure. with your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, guys. I just got a quick announcement to make, and I'm going to be talking about this over the next few weeks. We have some time, but September 25th is coming quicker than you think. That's when I'm going to be with Dana Perino. Laughter, Life, and the Joy of Liberty is the title we gave it. It's going to be two hours plus... A chance for me to talk about the president and the freedom fighter, my past books, our history, the war, uh, of, you know, the war, uh, the 1619 project as opposed to 1776 view of American history. We'll talk about that. And Dana Perino, her rich history in politics, along with her best-selling book, Everything Will Be Okay. I don't think everything will be okay, so we'll have a bit of a debate on that. Go to BrianKillMe.com. And you will be able to get tickets or Ticketmaster.com, whatever's easier for you, the Paramount Theater in Asbury Park, New Jersey, on September 25th. Real quick, Ricky, you're online in Lancaster, South Carolina. Ricky, what's on your mind? So my thing is this. For four years while Trump was in office, the Democrats voted no on everything he proposed yep. just so he could not get a win. Until the Republicans start playing the same game, they're going to keep losing every time. So the Republicans should vote no so they can hand Biden the loss so that they can see what was going on since Paul Trump was in office. What do you think about this, Ricky? Get, to get moderates or undecideds, they want to see what party is going to cooperate. And you might be able to win them over by doing this. Well, I don't think they're going to win anybody over because everybody is so divided today that – if the Republicans aren't playing in, at least in the same ball field as the Democrats, they're never going to be able to compete in any race. Back in a moment. 
From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is where the police reform issue is a really important issue to get done. Because what's happening right now is police are on their heels. The atmosphere that's been created in this country are putting police on their heels. Now, this is not to say that there aren't some reforms that need to be done. And we did those when I was governor of New Jersey. They need to be done and can be done and be effective. But the only thing that's going to stop those 2,000 people and get them off the streets are police. And right now, we're not supporting police. And the way to support police is to work with them to reform what's going on, violence de-escalation among police forces, community policing that gets them involved with the community so the community and police are working together to stop what's happening in the streets. So, and that's happening in every major city, and it's mostly affecting minorities. I'm telling you, Chicago, there were 70 shooting victims over the weekend, 90, uh, uh, 90 shootings overall, 14 fatalities. Uh, New York had shootings again this weekend. Listen to this. New York City is up 73% in overall shootings, 17 mass shootings, which they label as four or more. 1,400 people shot last week, and I'm seeing video, and you can see it online. New York Post is not, New York, uh, NYPD is not running from it. A 68-year-old walking in the street gets punched out and robbed. He had a broken wrist and a broken nose for walking at 9.06 in the morning in a nice, on a nice Brooklyn block. This is happening over and over. So what, do you see it in the polls? You do. The new, a new poll from USA Today and the Detroit Free Press was conducted with Suffolk University. It found that Detroit residents overwhelmingly agree that they feel safer with more cops on the street. Wow, if things change. Detroit, not alone. 70% of black Americans want more cops patrolling uh, the Big Apple. In that poll, 21% of likely Democratic voters even want the return of plainclothes anti-crime police in some neighborhoods. And in Chicago, another poll last month found that 79% of residents in Chicago said they feel safer when they see police in their neighborhoods. And that is minorities as well. So think about this. Detroit residents say they don't support the slogan, uh, defund the police. 65% don't support that slogan. Good luck with that. So good luck telling everybody that we're better off without cops. There's something like 300 cops short in Baltimore, Philadelphia, almost the same in New York. You know, they can't fill up an academy. Even in Nassau County, where crime is going down in New York, they're having trouble filling up academies. Usually you wait forever to get on that list. If you're on that list, you leave whatever you're doing, even if you have a great job and career because it pays so well and is considered uh, so prestigious and gives you an opportunity to do other things. The people are changing their view, and now you get you reap what you sow. That's what's happening right now in America. Meanwhile, Joe Biden continues to say things last week about him not uh, defunding the police. But listen to what an idiot statement he made. What happens is people always ask him, do you want to defund the police? He says, I never said that. What he said is repurpose money. But other people in his party have, Elon Omar, the whole squad at various times. And you see almost everywhere from Black Lives Matter. Cut 29. Joe Biden last week. We are not defunding the police. We and have are not. there people who, in the Democratic Party, who want to Are there people in the Republican Party who think we're sucking the blood out of kids? I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. What I mean, how crazy is that statement? 
It is a crazy statement, right? I mean, that's, that's some of the idiotic things he's saying. Facebook is killing people. They're killing people. Uh, you know how you after the Putin summit, he comes over and starts screaming at Katie Collins, uh, Caitlin Collins. I mean, what is going on with this guy? I mean, why did he get a pass on that? If Trump said sucking the blood out of kids, they'd go, something's deranged about him. No, answer the question. The question is a great one. Are there people in your party that are saying it? And if they are, why are you not rebuking them and saying that's not helpful at the very least? The guy Eric Adams won because he actually acted like a Republican in running for the Democratic nomination going against a pro-law enforcement guy like Curtis Sliwa. So you heard all that. Now, here's Rahm Emanuel, cut 31, on the violence in the cities that he saw in Chicago and what could be done. Cut 31. Our overwhelming factor of the gun violence. There's like 5,000 individuals in any city, 2,000 individuals, who are creating both 75% of the problem. Those individuals do not belong on the streets where children are playing. That's simple. Right. The recidivism. But you can't keep people in jail anymore. That's what they were saying in Washington as well. Now, Tim Scott's interesting because he's representing the Republican Party on criminal justice reform. Excuse me, on police reform. So the question is, where are the cops in this? Are they in on the table on this? Now, they they were trying to get rid of qualified immunity, which said you can go sue a cop. You don't like the jail the way you were arrested. Uh, they were trying to get rid of chokeholds, and they were trying to get rid of no-knock no warrants. The way it was explained to me and shown to me when I went to an academy, you need no-knock warrants if you want to have stricter rules to get a no-knock warrant, because a warrant is something you got to go to a judge for. We're for that. Different ways to change the academies, to finance academies in small towns that might not give people the training that they need, fitness standards, shooting standards, a place to practice, maybe a paid day to go to the shooting range. So if you do have to use your firearm, you're more apt to, you're more, uh, apt to do it correctly. Senator Tim Scott, on where he's at, because this country has changed since the George Floyd trial and the horrible incident in the video emerged. Cut 30. We have the highest level of violence we've seen, the highest increase in 50 years. We have inflation that makes your increase in pay an actual reduction in pay. And we have liberals in Washington literally saying we need more. The, the economy is overheating, but let's spin and put more fire on the economy. We have almost 9 million jobs with fewer than 8 million people looking for work. Their formula for success is miserable. And that's why I don't think police reform is going to get done unless it's going to be really watered down. I want to see financing. I mean, look, every sport you see, every job you see, they're getting better at it. Why wouldn't you want some financing to make the academies more sophisticated? Uh, JR, listening on WABC in Brooklyn, New York. Hey, JR. Hey, good morning, Brian. How are you? Great. Thanks Um, for listening. Just before you you played a clip from... uh, uh, Chris Christie saying yes. uh, that, you know, you need to work with police and more police. Hey, you could have uh, 10,000 police to, uh, police officers out on any given street, make 10,000 arrests, but the courts just let them out. These police officers are pulling guns off of people, illegal firearms off of people. And, you know, these, these, uh, these perpetrators are getting home before the police officers are. They're being let right out. 100%. 
And that's why this idiot governor went and did bail reform, and he did it in a way that did not consult anyone in law enforcement, and they said it was going to be a problem in the state, and it's worse than anyone thought. And also you add in these prosecutors put forward by George Soros's group who win elections because no one really pays much attention, and then they destroy major cities like Los Angeles, St. Louis, Chicago, uh, Philadelphia, and in New York. You get in, you get out. So we have to redo that. Now, let me ask you, Jr. are you convinced that Eric Adams is going to be the guy to do that? I, I'm, I'm confident that he is because of the way that he's presenting himself. They ask him about matters of um, defunding the police where he says, no, I'm not going to be doing that. They ask him about policies of the anti-crime units and for stop, question, and frisk. And he, he informs them, hey, um, just because you think these things have gone away, they have not. They were just they were very good tools and they were not used correctly. And he is correct. hundred percent. And the other thing that I like about what he's saying is going to restorm the anti-crime unit that gives you an idea where crime is surging and who's at it. Their plain clothes unit, for example, uh, they just get Democrats will only give in by saying guns. Guns are the problem. Guns are a part of the problem, but they are not the sole problem because the problem for Democrats is they put themselves into a corner. They said cops were bad and they were running on that. And now the cops said, "Okay, you got it. Take the streets over. Reimagine police. We'll stand here and see how that went. A lot of them turned in their badges, too. Julie, listen on KFTK in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Julie. Hey, Brian. Hey, it's eerie how I almost always agree with you. I can predict what you're going to say. But on the budget issue, I'm really concerned. Can you explain how these two bills are linked, the $1.2 trillion and the $3.5 trillion? Technically not, but would, would Nancy Pelosi link them? And mistakenly, maybe revealing his code, Joe Biden said, I'm not doing one without the other. And then he walked it back later in the day. So what happened is, Julie, just picture this. Uh, you are negotiating to buy a store and you said, I want the whole place cleaned out and I want everything painted and I want the floor redone. And they say, fine. And then another guy comes in with another contract and says, uh, I'm not doing the floor. I'm not cleaning the place out. And uh, it's up to them to get the stuff out. So you say, well, I had a contract You go. Well, I got a better contract. So what happened is they've been negotiating to get rid of day preschool, school lunches, elder care, uh, maybe voting reform, maybe immigration reform. Get all this uh, this this uh, green militia that they're putting into this, all these incentivizing for these uh, for these electric cars. They they negotiated that out of it, including a a raise in uh, corporate tax to 28 percent. And they said, fine. Well, after we pass this, if this passes the $1.1 trillion, they're going to come in with the $3.5 trillion when built out is more than between four and $6 trillion. So they say they're making us look bad. Even though we agree that there's a lot in the first infrastructure deal, deal that was done, by them putting it, everything negotiated out in one deal and they're doing it on a 50-vote majority, they're putting our face in it. And we should not play them. Make them pass everything. And let them deal with the inflation. Let them deal with the printing money. Let them deal with the fact that almost everything there is unaffordable. And the tax rise will actually have people not invest, not open up businesses, and be unable to participate in the market. And by the way, we don't need a tax raise. Do you know our receipts are up 10 to 15% of what projections were? You don't raise taxes when you have enough revenue coming in.
Thanks, Julie. I hope that answered your question. We come back. Uh, we'll take more of your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. We have not discussed what was actually in what's going on with Texas and some of the voting reform that had the Texas renegades leave and go to Washington. You're not going to believe what they're requesting the public give them now. That story when we return. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Brian Kilmeade, one 408 7669 We are, uh, uh, I see a lot of phone calls up there, and I want to get to them, too. I also I get the sense we might have a more to know. Just a quick announcement, as I mentioned earlier, especially for WRCN and our Atlantic City listeners, as well as the WABC listeners, I cannot wait to get back on stage. First time, second time ever with Dana Perino. Her book's a bestseller. My book's coming out in November, but, you know, I have five history books. This will be my fifth. And in a time in which they're on the war in history, I cannot wait to talk about the president and the freedom fighter, Lincoln and Douglas, how they came together to save America's soul. And then Dana Perino with her political knowledge, her incredible uh, skill in writing uh, advice books. Her latest one, Everything's Going to Be Okay. Uh, I think we really work well in Jacksonville when I was interviewing her for her book. And now we're going to be at the Paramount Theater in Asbury Park, September 25th. It's going to be, we called it, Laughter, Life, and the Joy of Liberty. We'll have a great time, work the audience, as well as give you an idea of uh, what makes America great uh, from our point of view. And, of course, being able to mesh two shows with two diverse backgrounds. So I hope to see you there. Just go to BrianKillMe.com or Ticketmaster.com. Jack, who's on WDBO? Jack. Hi. Yeah, my my thing is, um, you know, all we hear about is how the COVID is, you know, at an all-time high and got to wear masks again and be, you know, vaccinated. And thousands of people every day coming across the border from all over the world, God knows what diseases they have. Or how, how my, my question is, Brian, how they get away with that? I mean, honestly. Jack, Jack, Brian, it drives me nuts. You're exactly, and I think I'm, I'm a mental patient because I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, it is so because I talk to people like Griff Jenkins and Border Patrol people. They text me. I got a chance to go there. And the thing is, they're not even trying. They won't acknowledge it. They're not even asked by the press about it. They don't even do stand ups down there. And it's gotten worse. They told us it would all stop. And you're going to let 188,000 people come through in June. And you're going to get it mad at me for not yelling at people through the television and through the radio to get vaccinated. Excuse me. You're letting over a million people in here, many of which are infected from countries that don't even have one vaccine to give. And now you're going to get mad at us, knock on our doors and say that, well, Fox viewers don't don't urge their viewers and listeners to uh, to get the vaccine. Are you kidding me? Why don't you mention that Donald Trump's uh, administration pioneered it? And why don't you say you're getting hold of the border and no one gets in at all because of the pandemic? Instead, we're spending over a billion dollars not to build the wall. We've paid off the contractors. 
And I, I understand your frustration, and I, and I can't make you feel better about it, sadly. Let's find out if you need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. After a day in which we didn't get any Olympic medals, U.S. swimmers have won six medals. It's their best Olympic start ever. Uh, We're always good at swimming. One gold, two silver, three bronze, and the most ever won in the first day of an Olympic swim final. I think we're second overall to China. 73% 73% of adults can't imagine going a full day uh, without looking at a screen. That's part of the next story. Let's move on. So get this. 73, that's 7 out of 10 adults can't imagine going a full day without looking at something, an iPad or an iPhone. That, according to the British, they did a study, and we're probably worse, of their adults. Uh, that's in a 24-hour period. If you ever look at your screen to see how often you look at it, how often are you looking at it, Allison, would you say, for work? And how much just because you're keeping in touch with people or you're playing games on it or on... Oh, I play games on my phone all day. That's all I have time to do. No, um, it's become a bad habit, I would say. Like, you're bored, you just look at your phone. That being said, I am lucky in that I don't need to sit at my desk to do, our, like, my job once we're off the air. So I do look at a lot at home because that's how I'm working. Right. But I'm working off of it. I'll tell you what. I do nothing of fun. I just, okay, that it's all information. Mm-hmm. It's all looking up something, checking your messages, but I can't get addicted to something that I don't enjoy. No, but it's like a bad habit. Right? When you have nothing to do, you feel compelled to look at your phone. I will say, though, I'm sort of surprised it's only 73% of adults. I know. I know. I, I think people got to, you know, you can't really exist without it. A few of my friends said, I'm only getting a flip phone. I'm not changing. After a while, I'm like, listen, you got to get more into flip phone. You can't exist. If you have, do you have kids? Do you have work? Do you have, do anything outside? You, you organizing a sport? You know, mm-hmm. it's impossible. Next, too much coffee can cause your brain to shrink, raise dementia risk by fifty three percent. That's unbelievable. Drinking six or more a day is linked with fifty three percent increase in the risk of dementia and makes stroke more likely. Brain imaging reveals that drinking a lot of coffee was also associated with brain shrinkage. Um, the study conducted at the Australian Center for Physician Health. Um, whatever, it's in Australia. Uh, they took a, they took some brains of people 30 to 37. So this PhD candidate at the University of South Australia uh, led the team of international research says the findings draw attention to the risk of overconsuming. But I don't know anyone who drinks six cups a day, do well, you? This is where the headline, you're like, whoa, oh no, I should stop drinking coffee. And they're like, wait, six or more? That's pretty excessive. One thing they say is drink water along with coffee. That'll make it better because it does dra- drain you. Meanwhile, next... Is a hot dog a sandwich? More than half of Americans think so. When it comes to constructing a hot dog, 75% of those surveyed say they put their condiments on the bun first before adding the hot dog. One in three from that group agree it is less of a mess when doing it that way. So that makes it a sandwich. I have, I, when I had hot dogs, when I have turkey hot dogs, it's the dog, then the condiment. I agree with you. I right. do see how it would be less of a mess if you put it on first. Right. But... And plus, aren't they telling you to avoid bread? So a lot of people, if they are having it, not <laughs> having the bread. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. This is going to be a great hour. We're going to speak to Mary Anastasio O'Grady. If you want to know, uh, if you want to know what's going on in South America and with Cuba, from Venezuela to Bolivia to uh, what's going on with these triangle nations and the mass immigration and invasion that's happening on our southern border. She writes for the Wall Street Journal. Her contacts are tremendous. She spent so much time in the region, and I just cannot understand why President Biden isn't running through the option, and that is to help the people of Cuba get a representative government. First time in 50 years this opportunity exists. There's no Castro to crack down, but there are secret police cracking down, and I want to get her take on what led to this Cuba unrest. And it's not because of the American blockade. So we'll talk to her and then Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Fabric, the easiest way to get affordable life insurance. Learn how to protect your family against the unexpected at meetfabric.com slash Brian. Number three. It happens every single solitary year. There is a significant increase the number of people coming to the border in the winter months of January, February, March. It happens every year. It's getting worse. That's the word of the Border Patrol at the time when the heat usually takes the southern border surge go away. You know that. You heard Joe Biden talk about that. He is wrong. States are not stepping up. Uh, are now stepping up because Joe Biden has not stepped up what Texas decided to do and the chances of it working next. Number two. Wall Street Journal weighed in against the deal yesterday on their editorial page, and they write, what's striking about the deal so far, however, is that by all appearances, this will be the most one-sided bipartisan deal in decades. I I normally respect the Wall Street Journal's editorial page. In fact, I, I read it every day, but they're totally wrong on this. The bipartisan infrastructure deal could be done today. The question is, will and should the Republicans join Democrats in voting for it? They need at least 10. Much of what they what we know about it, there's another deal looming that the Republicans will not sign off on. They won't even be asked to. It'll be done on a 50, simple 50-vote margin. And it'll include almost everything the Republicans don't want and negotiate it out. So should they go along with the first deal? We'll discuss. Number one. Do you think masks should be brought back for vaccinated Americans? This is under active consideration. If you're asking, am I part part of the discussion? Yes, I am. So sickening. The never-ending pandemic brings back a never-ending debate. To vax or not, to mask or not. Two things are clear to me. Number one, until you seal the southern border and stop the flood of untested illegals who are coming from nations that don't even have the vaccine, you can't tell me to restrict a thing in my life. And number two, don't tell me to put on a mask after I vaccinate because the deal was get the shot, lose the mask. Don't go back on the deal now. You've lost all credibility if you try it. I'm telling you, look out. Fauci will try to do it, and he'll blame it on the CDC, and he'll go in there because he wants control. He wants to be interviewed 20 times a day to see when it's going to get let up. But Los Angeles, St. Louis, Las Vegas, Philadelphia, these cities have different sections sections that are putting the mask back on, even though you're vaccinated which is not it's a non-starter with me. Dr. Martin McCarry, who oftentimes makes so much sense, talked about this. Cut three. What we do know is that the people susceptible 
to the more highly contagious Delta variant. And by the way, it's about twice as contagious as the previous highly contagious UK variant. Uh, those are the at-risk people with no immunity. That's a very small surgical section of the United States. And right now, they have chosen not to get vaccinated at their own individual risk. Asking every American to change their lifestyle for their uh, benefit is not something, I think, where there's political will in some parts of the country. And what you're going to see is places that like to go from an, an advisory to a mandate is then with the mandate, they politicize the mask and ten they tend to be in areas with high population immunity already, not the areas where there's low uh, vaccination rates where we're seeing the outbreaks right now. We're trying to get people back to work. It helps the restaurants, helps the transit, and it helps businesses reach their optimum. If you're going to go back to work with a mask and then have all these limitations, get up your desk, you got to do that. You're going to have a police state inside your company, and then people are going to say, I'm going to stay home. And by the way, no one's staying at home with, with a mask on. Uh, they're going to stay away from the bars because you're not going to be allowed to stand up at a bar with a, because you want to stand there with a mask on. So they're going to stay home. We've seen this drill. I'm not going to remind you of it. Just so you know, it's not being conscientious or smart or cautious. It's being stupid because the people that are vaccinated feel like morons because we will walk the plank to go take a vaccine on an emergency authorization on the premise that we'll be able to return to our lives and on the premise that it's not going to cause after effects. And we know in some cases it has, they don't acknowledge it. But then to vilify and put down people that are reluctant to take a mask and then tell people with a mask, they got to go wear a mask, vaccinated or not, into bars and restaurants, any place indoors like Los Angeles. Governor Chris Christie has done the hard work. He sat down with focus groups to find out why people aren't getting vaccinated. He offered some of that uh, insight yesterday. Cut six. With all the lockdowns, with the, the biggest lockdown, probably New York and New Jersey were the biggest ones to lock down. It didn't, it didn't work. The vaccines do work. And I think that every focus group I've been in with Republicans who are not vaccinated, you have to walk them through the logic of this. Right. What they don't want is to be indoctrinated. They're willing to be vaccinated. They don't want to be indoctrinated. And so let's be smart about this. And I think that one of the places where our leaders have fallen down is they're not explaining it. They're just saying, get vaccinated. And these, these folks do not respond to being ordered to do those things. And what they're doing at CNN, I don't know, Allison, if you saw this, first segment, they open up with Fox viewers. And Fox viewers aren't getting vaccinated. When it's African-Americans are the number one group not getting vaccinated, and uh, mainly they're not Fox viewers, uh, a greater percentage each and every day. I wish 100% were, but that's not what the facts say. So they are trying to get ratings off this, which is sinful. People living or dying. You know who's not getting it? 30% of medical workers have not gotten the vaccine. But that's what, I mean, CNN's been doing that. All they do is talk about us. President Biden even said it during their town hall. He said, you know, that other network that you guys talk about all the time. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, but yeah he did say that. That's right. But- Every nurse has to go to higher education, higher than a BA, right? Every physician assistant has to do that. Every doctor has to do that. So what are they seeing in there that makes them think twice? And I don't care. You know, just tell me what you're thinking. But don't say, well, these Fox viewers, these rural, uh, these farmers, who, you know, who don't have dental plans. They're just, they're ignorant. No, they're not ignorant. But also regarding the healthcare workers, you don't know if they previously had the virus and they have the antibodies still. But well, they don't saying, credit that. I mean, no, I know they never say that. They never say it. They don't even acknowledge it. Uh, they don't. They don't have those high level discussions with Anthony Fauci. Uh, but it's true. Uh, Doctor Scott Gottlieb said, "Okay, 
We know how this goes. Usually Europe gets hit first, and then we get it next. The U.K. is actually separate from Europe, not only in an island, but separate on policy, and said this about what he's seeing and what he can predict. Cut nine. If you look at the U.K. right now, and we're probably about three weeks, maybe four weeks behind the U.K., perhaps a little less than that. If you look at the U.K., they do in the last seven days appear to be turning a corner. You're starting to see a downward trajectory on the cases. Now, it's unclear whether that's going to be sustained. They just lifted a lot of the mitigation that they had in place. But if the U.K. is any guide, we are perhaps further into this epidemic and hopefully going to turn a corner in the next two or maybe three weeks. Okay, stop panicking. Okay, it is easier to catch, but it's not more uh, it, it is not more lethal. Total Americans who have gotten double vaccinated, 49 percent. 18 and up, 60%. I think that's pretty good. ABC poll, excuse me, not an ABC poll, but overall the numbers uh, for those people, for the disease, um, actually getting COVID-19 is up 175%. But deaths are up only 19%. But the deaths are so low, 300 nationwide in a country this size is extremely low. And then, of course, if you have low numbers... And then you, uh, let's say at 52, which you added a fourth to it. So if you have 250 that have lost their lives, and it's once too many. But then 10% is 25 across the whole country. Think about this. If you double, it's up 100%. But what is the number? I don't know why people want to panic people. Now, across the world, we're not the only one. You look at... Um, Vaccine passports are now in six European nations. They're not taking people at their word. There were protests in France. There were protests throughout Europe. They still did it anyway. Overall, the entire world population, adult population, one in four has gotten at least one shot. So we're getting there. And always remember whose fault this is, China's fault. And always remember that they are still pushing back on any investigation that will produce results to see how this started. In fact, to the... To my utter surprise, to put it mildly, Anthony Fauci said he wouldn't rule out giving more money to the Wuhan lab. The other major, another major story that's happening in Cuba, uh, the amount of unrest has gotten that government so spooked, they are now putting their secret police into action. They have shut off the Internet, and we sit there mildly standing by and allowing criticism to come from the wild left the squad and company, saying it's our blockade that's causing the people of Cuba to suffer. Not a lack of representative government. Are you kidding? When we come back, the Wall Street Journal's own Mary Astacia O'Grady. She is uh, she writes for the America's weekly column on politics. She knows what's going on in Latin America, the Caribbean, and beyond. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
being born there, um, I will say that there was a lot of love, but that's about everything. There was a lack of everything else. The Cuban people need help. We need an intervention. We are here to let him know that we are fighting for our freedom. This administration has went way too slow in acting. I'd rather give him the benefit of the doubt, but I will say this, that their silence speaks volumes. It is deafening because it says a lot about maybe what their true ideology is. Is it that aligned to Cuba's? Can you not denounce what is happening and take decisive action today? <laughs> and those are some of the protesters, one of the protesters in front of the White House who are desperate to, under, to find out why the White House is more aggressively uh, going and, and singing the praises of the protesters who have been repressed and oppressed since 1953, really, it's 1960. Joining us now is Mary Astasia O'Grady. Uh, she, yeah, she writes for uh, the Wall Street Journal, the America's Column. Mary, welcome back. Hi, Brian. Nice to talk to you. I should say Anastasia O'Grady, my fault. Mm-hmm. That's uh, correct. It's a very Irish name, by the way. <laughs> uh, Mary, first off, why do you feel as though you have to go the remedial direction to explain to this administration and the country what Cuba really represents? Well, I think, Brian, it's because, uh, as I mentioned in my column this morning, uh, the Cuban regime is really good at two things. One is repression, which we've been watching in the last week, and they've been good at that since 1959. And the other is propaganda. They've been experts at propaganda. So, you know, we're all familiar with Michael Moore's uh, famous excursion to Cuba, where he told us that the medical health care system there was really uh, cutting edge and fabulous, of course, which was complete garbage. And that was just a snapshot in time. They've been good at propaganda since 59, since, you know, the New York Times columnist Herb Matthews went down there and, and uh, you know, told the world that Fidel Castro was not a communist. And, uh, you know, there's there's dots along the chart all the way uh, until today, and most people don't realize what a horrific hellhole the island has become under this so-called revolution. I, I thought we all knew this. It's amazing. You have people coming out saying, we're the problem with our blockade. You write the U.S. Trade and Economic Council, U.S. exports to Cuba of food and products of agriculture commodities totaled $28 million in March of 2021, up from $16 million in 2020. We are not the problem. Yeah, it's funny that we hear this word blockade because that is precisely the word that the regime uses to describe the embargo. They call it el bloqueo. And um, a blockade, of course, is a bunch of Navy ships around the island. Nothing can get in. Nothing can get out. And that's what's not, not what's going on. Uh, Cuba can buy as much food and medicine as it wants from the United States. And as I noted with those statistics, it buys a lot of food from the United States. It buys medicine. It buys medical devices. Um, But it cannot get credit, and it doesn't like that. And it's kind of funny, the reason why it wants credit from the capitalist empire is because it has defaulted on loans all over Europe, uh, Japan, uh, obviously to the Soviet Union, uh, to many countries in Latin America. In other words, it's sort of like the world's biggest deadbeat. 
So having defaulted to all these countries is like, who else can we borrow from? Hmm, think real hard. Well, how about the empire? So they want credit from the United States, and, you know, the embargo does not allow them to get credit, but, like, who would lend to these guys anyway? They, they don't create anything. They don't make anything. The only thing they export are people. And then they, when those people go out of the country to the United States or, you know, in their in their human trafficking program with doctors, they get dollars. They get so, hard currency back. That's how they survive. So, Mary, so we know we're not the problem. We know this is a communist regime not even supported by the Russians anymore. We all know they, they also are perpetrating and propping up Maduro in Venezuela. And in terms of this, they miss the unrest in their own country because they're infiltrating so many other countries. Yeah, I mean, they're, they not just Maduro, but also in Nicaragua, they support uh, Daniel Ortega. Um, you know, the reason they are trying so hard to hold on to Venezuela is that, believe it or not, as poor as Venezuela now is under basically as a satellite of Cuba, Cuba still gets some diesel from um, Maduro, and they need that to run electricity and to run their the vehicles they use to drive around and basically repress the population. So that's why they're holding on. But they have been a longtime supporter of revolution throughout the region. I mean, the, in Argentina, in, you know that Che Guevara was captured in Bolivia. Um, they have a, had a hand in the unrest in Chile. Um, they're, they're really troublemakers around the region while they have destroyed their own uh, their so, own country. So, Mayor, what could Biden do? Can he put on the Internet again? Will that make a difference? The people don't have the guns. I think the world, the, the Biden's role has to be a leadership role in isolating Cuba. But I mean, really leading a global a rejection of what they're doing, similar to what we did during apartheid in South Africa. And he's he's not interested in doing that, and not Biden himself, but the people he have on his, has on his team are people who believe that the way out of this is to engage with this horrible regime. So, you know, they're already talking about putting more people at the embassy in Havana. That's a step toward normalization. You don't normalize with a bunch of thugs like this. So, the, 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 okay, they did talk about the Internet, and I think that would be good. But I don't think we should do anything that is a step toward appeasement of the regime. And I think, you know, Biden has the bully pulpit. Biden has the megaphone. Biden could every single day, every day, get out there and right. talk about the truth. Mary, about we've got to have you and back because there's no, nobody better to talk to about this. Mary, Mary Anastasio Grady, The Wall Street Journal. Thanks, Mary. Appreciate it. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A group of us, 10 of us, five Democrats, five Republicans, been working on this for the last couple of months. Uh, this is the same group who actually put together the last COVID deal under President Trump. So we know each other, we trust each other. And um, 
I think you're going to see whether it's a hundred billion dollars plus for roads and bridges, whether it's you know close to fifty billion dollars for resiliency for those coasts who are having sea level rise, whether it's making the kind of investments in cleaner buses. For example, our country's going to buy twenty thousand new school buses over the next couple of years. Should those buses be made in China or made in America? I think they ought to be made in America. I, I, don't, I think he's skewing the issue there. I don't think anybody wants him built in China. Uh, let's come to Brett Baer now. He's getting host, uh, getting set to host a uh, special report tonight. He picks out an outfit around one. He has not picked one out yet. So right there, we're going to just – I'm not even going to ask you about what you're wearing. I'm going to go with navy blue. Definitely navy blue. And will you wear a tie? I will wear a tie. I'm, right. I'm going to guess red. So we do, are we able to break news on this show, Allison. Can you call Mediaite <laughs> or Breitbart? It's something, one or the other. Well, they're probably watching already. So what do you think? They're going to get this deal done and it's going to be released today? I think they're, they're going to come out with a deal. Um, and everything over the weekend suggested that it'll be scaled back from where, you know, uh, Democrats wanted to be. Uh, but this negotiating back and forth is going to produce something that Republicans, at least 20 of them, are going to sign on to. And um, that'll get them over the, the threshold. They need 60, and they'll, they'll get it. So would people like Molly Hemingway have said, and Wall Street Journal had wrote, have wrote is they, the Republicans shouldn't do it because this reconciliation package has everything that the Republicans negotiated out in it. It's an in-your-face. Why, why take part in this? You understand that school of thought, and do you think that yeah, resonates? Well, listen. I mean, there's two parts of this. One is the first part, which is the infrastructure negotiation that they've been uh, kind of working on, uh, and then there's the three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation bill. I don't think that you're going to get Republicans on that, and they don't need them. However, they do need moderate Democrats uh, to sign on, and that's I think it would be a heavier lift. Uh, the first part of it. I think is you can get a win-win because, um, you know, some of these Republicans want to go home with, I brought you this bridge, I brought you this whatever. Um, But as far as the other part of it, it's going to be a little bit tougher. No kidding. And I just think it's going to be hard to digest, especially if they put immigration into it and voting infrastructure into it. And if you listen to what's in there, they got basically a green militia. They're going to be putting in preschool. They're going to put in school lunches. They're going to put in elder care. They're going to pay for college. I mean, this is unbelievable what's in there. It's not what our country can afford while raising taxes. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, Democrats who not who are not speaking loudly yet, but when push comes to shove, I don't think they're going to be there, especially if they're up for re-election, um, because it'll it'll be vulnerable um, on an inflation point and on you know just spending overall. And also the 3.5 trillion, the uh, the mathematicians amongst us say really it's more like five to six trillion when you do it over the years. 3.5 is is not accurate to describe how much uh, how much is actually in this. Yeah, and then the pay fors are really the killer. I mean, what is it going to look like on the tax structure um, to get anyone capital gains paying it back? Corporate. Up, right? What, what are they going to get capital gains up to? And what, what they don't understand, after even watching Obamacare, 
There's going to be a reaction to everything you do. There's going to be less investment. That means less tax receipt. If you're going to go into capital gains and tax 40%, if you're going to get corporate tax up to 28%, you're going to start losing some of those businesses that came back because we finally got competitive. This is about other competing with other countries, not necessarily competing with us. I think uh, capital gains will go up, but it, won't, it can't get up that high because uh, there's too many there's too many businesses, there's too many people who, if they're selling a house, if they're you know taking some money off the table, the burden for the most left Democrats in there. Brett, I want you to hear what Speaker Pelosi said. Uh, either she is just dead set on passing the reconciliation bill to the point where she would actually muddy the waters with the bipartisan bill. Listen to what she said yesterday, cut 13. Building the human infrastructure is really a part of building the physical infrastructure. So that's why we will have some something further uh, to add. The bill is not as green as I would like it to be, the infrastructure bill. Uh, and, and I think that it's something we could have passed a long time ago. Uh, even before the climate crisis was readily known to everyone. But nonetheless, I hope that it will pass. I won't put it on the floor until we have but if you, the rest of the initiative. So she won't put it on the floor until the reconciliation bill is written and ready to go. Yeah, well, that's a problem. And you can see the trains on the same track ready to hit each other here. And... Um, that's just not tenable uh, for a lot of moderate Democrats and zero Republicans. So Senator Mark Warner also said it was a bad idea yesterday to get rid of the filibuster, but he put a caveat in that. And he's pretending as if these voting rules that are passed by places like states like Georgia and Chicago are a big deal. Listen to what he said could be included in reconciliation bill to get rid of temporary, get rid of the filibuster. Uh, this is what he said later in the interview on your favorite channel, Fox, uh, on your favorite Sunday show, Fox News Sunday. Uh, this is Cut 37. I don't want the Senate to become like the House, but I do believe when it comes to voting rights, when it comes to that basic right to exercise and participate in democracy, I get very worried what's happening in some of these states where they are actually penalizing, saying if you give somebody water waiting for waiting in line to vote, or in states like Texas where they're saying a local government can overcome the results of a local election. That is not democracy. And if we have to do a small carve out on filibuster for voting rights, that is the only area where I'd, I'd allow that kind of reform. How do you do a small carve out on voting rights? Yeah, listen, um, again, once you start changing, once you start tinkering, it's it opens the door to a lot of things. And um, I, I just don't think they're going to get there. I don't think that that carve out's going to happen because you have at least two, maybe four Democrats who say no go. All right. Uh, I want you, you, you like me, have realized how great a source Josh Rogan is when it comes to China. And yeah. you were able to talk to him on his podcast. Here's him. Today he writes uh, about France warning us in 2015 about uh, – France warning us about the Wuhan lab. And they kicked, them, they kicked the French out of the Wuhan lab. Listen to – here's an excerpt from your podcast. What's underlying this question is the fact that we don't know what the NIH was doing 
in all of these Wuhan labs. And a lot of people, including Rand Paul, quite rightly want to know what was Anthony Fauci's awareness of all of that? And what did he think he was funding? And is that exactly what he ended up funding? And those efforts, as published by the Wuhan Institute of Virology, took back coronaviruses and modified them in a way that made them more infectious to humans. Now, for any common sense definition, and when when a, a normal person hears that, they think, oh, well, they gained function, so how can that not be gain of function? And what Fauci did was he pointed to a specific definition that was written into the rules uh, that says, well, it, it's very, it has to be transmissible and virulent, and you have to know that it uh, was going to turn out that way, and that had to have been your intention. In other words, the the official definition sets a bar so high that nothing qualifies, and that's why nothing got reviewed. So, so insightful, so interesting, right? It's, it's a mess. It's it's a total mess, and the loophole that Fauci is using, I mean, listen, you got to respect all his time in, in service to the country, but this is really messy. And there is a giant loophole about what he's talking about for gain of function and what they call that definition so that he can say, no, I didn't lie under oath. But the truth is that the NIH, it doesn't look like knew exactly what the Chinese were doing, but we were still funding the Wuhan lab. And, you know, on the other side of the lab is not about government. Things run by the Chinese government in hey, China, hey, but especially that. Hey, Brett, I know we have our hands full on our channel, and every time you get a show, you want it to be the best. But he is signed with CNN. How is he not leading every hour? How is he? How is he not? Uh, like Fauci was on with Jake Tapper yesterday. How do you not play that soundbite and say answer that question? I think it's ridiculous. I mean, he's not even talking about this on that channel. We- it's ridiculous. It's crazy. It's, I read I, the book. I, I could I could not believe it. I was yelling. Podcast. I said, "Listen, if Brian Kilmeade can do it, I can do it." So I said, "I'm going to book him on the podcast." And we talked for a half an hour. And he's got all this insight. He did a ton of research for his book, Chaos Under Heaven. And why he's not being utilized over there in this important time on this important topic is really shocking. So Jamie Metzl and Josh Rogan have the same feeling of exasperation. They're both, I don't know what Josh, who Josh Rogan votes for, but he, he, you know, I'm judging by his Joe Rogan interview over three hours. It's clear that he's more comfortable in the democratic line of thinking, but I have no idea. But I've said that Jamie Metzl says I'm a progressive. He could not get any traction with anyone uh, and MSNBC, NBC, ABC, anybody. He he knows all them personally. They have no interest in his message. In fact, social media took down his his uh, his statements about the Wuhan lab being the issue. And now, you know, he was direct messaging me because because he knows we were talking about it, I guess. And we've had him on for the last three, four months, but he never gets on other channels. He got on 60 Minutes, but that was it. So it's just crazy that you would not pursue the number one story in the world because it might make Joe Biden look bad. It's crazy. But yeah. I, I and then it's also crazy that at the beginning of the whole thing, it was considered a conspiracy theory and it was yes. being wiped off Twitter and everything else. Listen, uh, Brett, I enjoyed our time and I enjoyed uh, <laughs> accepting your toss all week. I'm very sad that I won't be doing that this week. All right. I won't let Tammy hear that, but Tammy Bruce will be hosting. <laughs> Go get him, Brett. See you, man. Back, uh, back with your calls in just a moment. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 Just a reminder, uh, it's just come online now, September 25th in Asbury Park. I'm going to be with Dana Perino, uh, you know, the great Dana Perino, Laughter Life and the Joy of Liberty. I have a new book coming out, The President and Freedom Fighter. I continue to look at different por- uh, portions of America's history. I'm for it. I'm 1776, not 1619. But uh, this one really explores... Well, what was Frederick Douglass was like, how he overcame slavery, managed to escape to freedom, and became one of the most noted people in the world. And Abraham Lincoln, we know what he did. You probably don't know the details and how their lives coincided. So I'll talk about that in my past history books um, and, of course, what American history done right is. And Dana Perino with her rich history in politics, her great job hosting The Five, as well as her own show, as well as working with Bill Hemmer. Her specials in her books, the latest one, a bestseller, Everything Will Be Okay. We'll talk about all that. Take your questions. VIP opportunities, too. September 25th, Paramount Theater, Asbury Park, New Jersey. Tickets available. Just go to briankillme.com or ticketmaster.com. So uh, I hope you hope to see you there. Uh, a couple of things I've not uh, gone over yet, and that is when we were discussing where the origin of this virus is coming from. There's a story out today that it turns out that Wuhan lab was a was a siren of emergency from the French government, contacted the U.S. government and said, listen, this Wuhan lab is bad news. I know we all supported it and we were going to work on viruses there, but these guys don't have great practices. And because they were critical, they got kicked out of an entirety in 2017. So you think that Anthony Fauci, now that he's in the heat of, of battle with trying out why we put at least $600,000 into this lab, a Chinese lab, you would think that he'd back off. He's not. Not only is he not backing off, he is not ruling out giving more money in the future. Cut 10. If you go back to when this research really started and look at the scientific rationale for it, it was a peer-reviewed uh, proposal that was peer-reviewed and given a very high rating for the importance of why it should be done. To be able to go and do a survey of what was going on among the bat population because everyone in the world was trying to figure out what the original source of the original SARS-CoV-1 was. It was almost as if you didn't pursue that research, you would be negligent right, but because go- we were trying to find out how you can prevent this from happening again. Listen, right there, if it's my show, I'm playing Josh Rogan, a, w- a CNN contributor, on with Brett Baer a minute ago, talking about how they just parsed words that they really were doing gain-of-function research, and we were financing it. And he says, if after SARS-V1, we want to make sure to stop the next SARS-V2. Well, you failed. And they might have started it and invented it. Maybe by mistake, maybe not. But that's not the point. Not only does he not regret, he's going back in. Listen to this. Going forward. Cut 11. Going forward, we are always going to be very, very careful, go through all kinds of review, including the risk-benefit ratio. So, I, w- I mean, if your question, Jake, is looking forward, are going to be very careful about the research that we do? Well, we have always been very careful, and looking forward, we will continue to be very careful. In what- he has no idea what was going on in that lab, 
It's not we being careful. You gave money to another group who gave money to them. You're not being careful. You don't. You have no idea what's going on. And it's estimated he gives out forty billion dollars in grants. So we're, what's going on there? But evidently we don't have any standards. So Congresswoman Marionette Miller Meeks is listening to all this and says this about what's happening with the investigation. Remember, Joe Biden said 90 days we'll find out what happened. They have been critical, but it's way too late. WHO wants an investigation, but it's way too late. I'm glad they finally came around. I wonder why. Maybe because President Trump is not president. Cut 12. The uh, WHO came out and said that we should have further investigations into the origins of COVID-19. That was immediately pushed back by the Chinese Communist Party. But, you know, President Biden has an opportunity also to bring other countries and bring allies on board and the international community on board to ask for an investigation and information from the laboratory that we do not have, because this is important. It's important for public health, not only here in the United States, but also abroad. It's important for national security. And it's also important that I think those in the media realize what an important role they play and you shouldn't just dismiss exactly. something because you, you you don't like the origin or the person who's providing that information. And they haven't stopped. For your knowledge, Wendy Sherman, the number two diplomat in the world, in, in the U.S., goes to China today and was berated by the Chinese. Again, for supporting these outlandish accusations about the lab, for having politics of confrontation and competitiveness, says both can't happen. They demanded a change in our approach. The arrogance. This is the evil we're dealing with. This government just poisoned the world, was complicit in the death of 600,000. And they're mad that we're mad after also finding out they hacked into Microsoft that compromised accounts of 30,000 Americans minimum. And they're mad at us. We are dealing with evil. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.